All right, welcome to the runningrestaurants.com podcast where we bring you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to make your restaurant more profitable and successful. I'm your host, Jamie Oikel, and today I'm joined by guest Ian Christopher, CEO at Galley, which is a food tech company that helps boost restaurant operations with their data-driven insights. So we're gonna get into a lot of stuff, but before we do that, Ian, uh, just tell folks you know, who you guys are, how long you've been around, how you got started in this. What do you got? Awesome. Yeah. I'm Ian. Uh, pleasure to be here with you today, Jamie. Um, yeah. Myself and my brother-in-law, Benji Coltai, are co-founding uh, Galley. We got our start uh, a little over two years ago um, and really came from Benji's uh, previous experience in the, in the food industry. Uh, Benji was an early hire at a company in San Francisco, uh, actually a kind of a tech startup called Sprig, um, in which he was uh, a principal engineer that had uh, the unique opportunity as an engineer actually working within a food system, a running functional, at that time, ghost and virtual restaurant. And so really unique opportunity for someone with an engineering background to actually be embedded in the culinary operations of a food business and to, to be there with the sole purpose of developing software that helps food operators. And so Benji spent uh, every day for about two and a half years putting on a hairnet sitting next to line chefs, executive chefs, purchasing managers, inventory consultants, you name it, uh, really asking to, uh, really inquisiting as to, you know, what technology, what software could he build in order to enable a more productive and efficient workflow. And so Galley, the V1 of Galley was literally born in a kitchen, uh, which has differentiated us uh, ever since. And now we're on a mission to, uh, to help food businesses become more profitable by making data-driven decisions. Good. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, uh, have been covering this stuff for, you know, for, for, for a while, obviously over the years, but then, but you, you hit a couple of buzzwords there that we're going to get into today. The ghost stuff, the virtual stuff, uh, where we are sitting with COVID, uh, is, is definitely given that a push forward for sure. Uh, as, as, as people are moving more offsite delivery and takeout and curbside, there's a lot of changes. And so let's, let's, let's get into where we are right now. I mean, it's August now we're what five months in really heavy to, restaurants making a pivot and and you folks uh i'm sure had to make somewhat of a pivot in your business as well but talk about how you have either changed with covid or dealt with change i know on on your website there's a link to a guide that says hey if you're pivoting with meal delivery or meal kits here's a resource so you guys are obviously thinking about this stuff how has it affected you what are you seeing out there in the marketplace yeah, absolutely. Great question. I mean, honestly, it, it hasn't affected our business as much as, as it obviously has affected the businesses that we serve. We feel really fortunate that we didn't really have to pivot our offering or our model. What we did try to do was increase the accessibility of our platform. So we did make the product more accessible from a price standpoint. We spun up a freemium offering so that we could be helpful to anyone in these times trying to figure out food costing and menu engineering uh, with kind of this, this goal or eye on going multi-channel. Um, and, and to put it back on kind of the survey of the market, that's what we've seen, you know, through, uh, through the last few months, you know, it started with caterers and SMB food businesses, you know, smaller single unit restaurants, a couple multi-unit restaurants, really looking as to how can they increase, you know, revenue, what new revenue opportunities are there. And so we had a lot of, uh, we had a massive uptick in, in businesses coming onto the platform to go after multi-channel opportunities. So potentially delivery or doing more takeout or delivering direct to the consumer um, and now we're a few months into this thing and it seems like every single operator in the food service uh, industry is trying to figure out how do they safely get their finished product one step closer to the end consumer 
Um, and so we're seeing, you know, just massive iterations on operational and distribution models across really all the, the segments and, and really verticals within food, whether you're an SMB, a smaller single unit operator, multi-unit, or some of the larger, you know, enterprise businesses in the field, everyone now is just really understanding that they need to evolve or, or die trying, you know, to, to satisfy the demands of this, this new and really intricate and constantly evolving landscape that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of buzzwords there, right? Evolve and, and it, you, you, it's going to change, right? What we had yeah. five months ago is not going to be back to the landscape, probably at least for a long time and, may, yeah. and maybe never uh, because of all these changes. And what we talked about like day one when COVID was that and the next day people were like, I'm breaking my rent. Uh, we're, we're closing down. Like it was like that panic, right? We, so the first thing that we that we talked about really is the restaurants were in a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just just a easy economic times before that. Like things were just rolling. Yep. Life was easy, right? Everybody was making money hand over fist. I mean, not, not everybody, right? It's a challenging business always, right. but restaurants for the most part were doing well. Economy was doing well. It was easy. But the reality is, and we saw within like two split seconds, that the restaurant model is, it's broken. It's a flawed model. I mean, restaurants doing well, making 5%, 10%. If they're lucky, you know, 12, 15. And so, we looked at it as, hey, this is an opportunity to flip the flip restaurants and hopefully build a better future. And, and, and I know you guys are helping with that because it's, it's flawed, right? So how can we raise margins to be a sustainable business that doesn't close down after one week of, of, of struggles? And so I know you guys talk about food costs, big deal. We, we, you know, we, we focus on that stuff, raising margins. What are some of the key insights you, you guys use both you know, to your clients in general when you talk about food costs, menu development, raising margins. What do you think? I mean, that's just where you have to start your focus. I think, you know, this isn't necessarily, I completely agree that there is kind of this reshifting and reordering and, and settling of the restaurant industry as a whole. But I think everything that we've learned from our customer base and in the market and, and, you know, thought leaders out there is that this really is a time to get back to the basics more than anything. I mean, even if you're exploring these really progressive new emerging markets of ghost and virtual and all those things, this is really a time that if you don't understand the core dynamics and mechanisms of your business, you, you're going to have a really difficult time surviving and staying viable in the future. So getting it, not necessarily that, you know, we have a way of doing food costing and menu engineering that obviously stems from our platform, but just the notion of getting back to those core principles of, of do you understand your, your food costs? Do you understand your menu level margin? And are you optimizing that, that, that menu for delivery and off premise? That is the first place we need to start as food businesses because there, this is, this is an unknown time and to be able to deal with the, kind of the the ups and downs that are going to be associated with revenue and then you know uh, trying to pursue new opportunities like ghost and virtual that takes a lot of time energy and effort spent on marketing and brand awareness all of these other things that that potentially take money and so at the end of the day if you don't have a really tight operational core you know uh, then you're going to have a much more difficult time approaching these new opportunities and these new revenue streams. So for us, it's just putting the focus back on the basics first yeah. and foremost. And that is, that's a really big challenge in this space. As you know, you've covered this plenty of times. I mean, food costing is an art and science, menu engineering, same thing. And it's not easy to do. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it and we would have 30 plus percent you know, margin businesses, you know, um, everywhere and, and everyone would be in food, but it's a difficult thing to do well. Have you seen then kind of as, as folks are optimizing their menu, uh, is it, you know, one, is it streamlining the menu sometimes? Is it going through that analysis to say, to realize, Hey, our best seller 
actually is costing us a dollar every time we sell it. And so every, we're, we're oh, you'd be, I mean, man, we've, we've had people cry on a demo because they were mistaken that they thought they had a, you know, a potential loss leader that was underwater by, you know, a dollar or two and it ended up being underwater by $4 plus, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, just to understand that like, to really have with high fidelity and high accuracy and understanding your food costs is, is, is step one, of course. Um, and then, yeah, when it gets into menu optimization, yeah, of course you have to be looking at the menu margin blend and understanding, you know, where do you have those opportunities for lost leaders? Where can you recruit that revenue? All of that. And then it's looking at, you know, all of the new, all of the new ways to, to really service your customers. There's just so many more people that are going after multi-channel, new people groups, new demographics, uh, younger, older, uh, couples, families, all of that. And so do you have a menu offering that actually serves all of those, you know, diverse people groups that might have been going on to might be accessing multi-channel or delivery for the first time uh, as a customer. So are you optimized for that? Well, let, let's stay there for, for a second then. Um, I, I, do, I wanted to come back to something, but, but that re reminds me of a question. So you talk about multi-channel and you have different target audiences, right? And, and you've already used the phrase ghost kitchen and virtual kitchen. And so mm -hmm. it, is it kind of a trend to run one kitchen, you know, ghost kitchen that can simply put out four menus that focus on demographic A? four menu items that clearly focus on group B, you know, six items to focus on C and then you're run, running those all from the same facility. And I think it's probably what you guys do, but is that, is that kind of a, a giant trend? I mean, do you see that's going to be more and more and more? Yeah. I mean, what you, so there's a lot of different concepts mashing up here, but that's what the big guys are doing. That's what the ones that see themselves kind of as the restaurant groups of the future are doing. They're curating menu items and, and even just full uh, concepts around people groups and, and menu trends right now. And because of the agility and flexibility of spinning up these ghosts and virtual offerings, they can, they can have multiple within a house of brands. And so that's, that's really where you see, you know, and we, we work with a handful of these, these companies um, that are really leading the way and progressing kind of setting the stage for the next restaurant group of the future, um, which is a house of brands that services a large, you know, a large percentage of, of the dining population to a very exacting degree of specificity, you know, or do you have a full gluten-free offering, you know, are you, are you, you know, are you getting into some more uh, ethnic cuisines that are more on trend now, like all, all sorts of, all sorts of variables, but the big guys are, are taking that kind of that multi, multi-concept approach that's highly curated, absolutely. Yeah, because I think, you know, when I think about a couple of things, you know, whenever I order from a place, it's like I, I, I pick like one or two or three things, right? And so people yeah. are probably pretty similar, right? And so if I just, you know, if I'm, if I'm in the mood for a meatball sub, maybe I'm like meatballsubs.com or whatever. And sure. like that, that is just solved by someone who's, who's curating a list for that. And it would go back, go back to the flaws of a restaurant business where the number one, well, not the number one expense, but a giant expense is rent, right? Having the right location costs a lot of money. It's got to be big and all that stuff. And if you start to take that out of the equation by building a so-called virtual kitchen in a cheaper location that doesn't have to deal with all those costs and then just produces the menu items, ships them out via all the things that are popular now, third-party delivery, this guy, that guy, or maybe you do it in-house. But mm -hmm. that maybe is, is a way, is, is, you see people grabbing profit by taking some of those expenses out of the system. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's there's definitely room for higher margin profiles within Ghost and Virtual, just given some of the inherent, you know, 
uh, efficiencies that come. Also, you're just you're not running a dining room. You're you've kind of you've taken out a whole cost center of your business. Um, but that said, it's not a one for one transfer of those savings into back of house or into profits or into revenue. You have to incur new costs around brand awareness and quality control and all these other things because you know ultimately if you're a net you know a day zero ghost kitchen coming onto a delivery platform, how, how does a consumer know how to find you? How do they feel comfortable in your offering? You know uh, that that's really a shift even over the last couple weeks. I mean, Uber has now started putting tags on their, on their delivery, uh, on, on the, on the application that'll show the parent company of an associated brand so that the consumer can start to get some confidence and, and what, what, you know, what parent company, what brand is spinning up these other offerings and do I feel comfortable, you know, purchasing from them. The other thing is that consumers are going to drive a lot of this behavior too. Like those cost savings, happen but then there's also going to be this other side of transparency because the beautiful thing about a restaurant is we can physically go there i can interact with a bartender i can meet the chef i can understand the wait staff i can i have a personal more personal relationship with my food when i'm eating dining in a restaurant when i go ghost and virtual i i these days, I'm not even saying hello to my delivery driver. It's being left contactless at my front door. So what interaction do I have with my food? Very little besides consuming. it. So I think consumers are going to start driving us towards behavior about full traceability. Like, where did this food start and how did it end up on my fork? You know, and can I see that through this journey of, of really data transparency? Can I understand that it came from this farm? It was actually produced in this kitchen and then it went to this delivery partner and ended up at my front door. And those things I think are just going to become more of a necessity rather than a nicety in the future, um, which is going to be driven by the consumer ultimately. Yeah, I have a question that I'm just thinking of now is, um, you know, I think you're in San Diego, I'm in Orlando, pretty, pretty, you know, metro populations that have quite a bit going on, but New York, obviously dense and so forth. But then if you move to the suburbs and you move even more rural, is, the, is this sort of trend that we're talking about ghost and virtual, is it more suited for the high population stuff? Versus I'm thinking, you know, where I grew up in the suburbs, it was more like, you know, you drive out to a restaurant, you're going out, there wasn't delivery, of course, you know, it's not that I'm old, right? But it's like, there was, that was, that's a whole different thing right now than it is now. But um, do you see the, I guess what I'm getting at is, is the trend more, more urban than, than, than rural and so forth? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to your delivery window mainly, and most most delivery operators right now are trying to target at least a seven, at a minimum, a seven minute delivery window from the point of production to the end consumer. So if you're outside that seven minute window, that that you start getting into just some other higher level complexities. Not to say that it can't be done, and there are folks that are doing that. They're just optimizing, you know, for last mile delivery greater than seven minutes, which means like you're probably not ordering a grilled cheese sandwich or you know something that's not going to taste delicious within seven minutes. Of being delivered. Um, so yeah, it's definitely feasible. I think you're just going to see different iterations on the model. You're going to see other types of distribution models coming in. You're going to see pop-ups. You're going to see food trucks as distribution centers. You're going to see more podular type, you know, uh, yeah. kitchen infrastructure come into play. But, you know, uh, it, it, it's only made more efficient by density. Uh, but there will be a varying models that help kind of make up for the lack of density. Um, the beautiful thing is that this has never been a more exciting time to be in food because the amount of like innovation and entrepreneurship that's happening. I mean, people are every day trying to figure out these problems and I've just been overwhelmed by seeing like how creative this industry is and, and, and trying to get food to the rest of us. Honestly, um, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's right. That, that is what, you know, silver lining for lack of a better word. You've seen a couple of good things come out of it. One has been innovation. I think where people are going to learn how to figure out costs yep. better. Delivery systems obviously have 
ramped up incredibly so forth. People who know how every single restaurant now knows how to do takeout uh, or yep. slash delivery because they've had to learn yep. that. Whereas before they might have been resistant to it. Now they, they, so people are learning. And then now you're talking about different models and different innovations that absolutely is happening. And this industry is going to be get creative. Let's, um, back half of the conversation here, but let's go back to, to data driven stuff. That's in your tagline. Uh, if I'm a newbie from the outside and I hear that, like, Oh, what the hell does that mean? Like, what, 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 what give an example of data driven decision that that helped a restaurant in terms of what you guys do. Yeah. We've kind of already touched on it a little bit in understanding of like, we've created a system of record or kind of a source of truth for all your food data. So what we do is we steward your ingredients, your recipes and your menus and our ingredients are associated with vendor items. So at any given time within our system, you can look up the cost of a, a recipe. You can scale that recipe to whatever scale you want, see food costing happen in real time. Uh, we do that at a menu level as well. And so what, what it really is, is creating a beautiful place to interact with that food data. And a lot of these food operators are doing this and capturing a lot of this data, but they're doing in spreadsheets that are just not usable, not scalable, uh, clunky, broken, and, and really hard to get the value out of them that they're intended to do, which is to help you make better decisions around core activities. For us, one of the, the main activities that we're trying to gain the most efficiency around is purchasing. Like the idea of a food business knowing when and understanding how much of what to buy at what time is one of the hardest questions in food service to answer. And so we, first and foremost, that's kind of our stake in the sand is our, our whole platform is optimized for, for essentially semi-automated purchasing. So you give us your recipes, we marry it with your vendor, your purchasing data, um, and then we map that to your production plan. So you tell us how many you know, chicken dishes you want to make next Tuesday, we'll tell you exactly when and how much of what you need to purchase in order to execute on that offering, which is completely different than any other system out there that is literally asking you, okay, how many cases of chicken do you think you need to buy in order to execute on this chicken dish in two Tuesdays from now? Um, so it's kind of putting purchasing on its head, moving away from a par-based purchasing system to a more demand-based purchasing system, which is highly relevant right now when demand is shifting so rapidly. You know, you can't, you know, you can't just go off of par-based purchasing and say, hey, I bought nine cases of chicken last week. I'm going to do the exact same this week and hope it works out. Uh, it's just that that's not viable in kind of a COVID economy right now. So uh, first and foremost, purchasing better decisions around purchasing behavior, better decisions around inventory behavior, better decisions around production behavior. You know, when we understand your offering at a, at a high level, and, and again, a menu is an abstraction. So it could be your menu for the week, it could be a menu for the month, it could be a menu for your entire year. We, uh, we give you transparency and insights into the dynamics of that menu, like how much cross utilization are you using? You know, what, are, what, what sort of pricing has happened across carrots over the last six months within this offering? Um, oh, by the way, you need to you know make 700 pounds of carrot soup next week are you going to bash that do you know that your onions can be made two weeks ahead because they, they hold better in the walk-in and you can reduce that time so on and so forth so it's all it's you know it's driving towards efficiency across the entire kind of workflow from recipe R&D all the way through uh, last mile uh, delivery cool man yeah as, as you're chatting I was just taking a few seconds to, to scroll on your site, we can pop out there for two seconds. Is there anything you want would want to specifically show or should we just give them the website address and have them come out? No, there? I think it's a great place for people just to explore. We try to be as helpful as possible. There's some great resources there. You mentioned it there, some guides on pivoting. Um, you know, there's some some resources on, on how to approach delivery. There's resources on food costing, all of that. So yeah. website is definitely a great place to get more familiar with with us and our offering. And then just uh, some some, you know, just some hopefully some valuable content there for operators as well. All right. So hit, hit them with that address as well as any other social stuff you guys have or anywhere else you'd want to point folks. 
Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're uh, searchable at Galley Solutions, www.galleysolutions.com. Uh, and then we're also really active on LinkedIn as well. So hit us up there and, and uh, our team's always happy to answer questions anybody has. Perfecto. Yeah. And I see there's a demo right on the side, all that fun stuff. So definitely check that out. All right, folks, that was Ian Christopher of Galley. You can find them on the web at galleysolutions.com. Uh, for more great restaurant marketing and operations, service people, and tech tips, stay tuned to us here at runningrestaurants.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks.